We are in the Gospel of John. We've uh, been there for a long time. Uh, this is uh, the 39th message in John uh, as we're looking at it together. So we're in the 20th chapter right near the end. So we have one chapter left uh, that we'll be looking at and kind of finishing this up in the next couple of weeks. Um, so I want to talk to you today um, just, just what that song said. One phrase in there in the choir said... Uh, what God has done for me, God promises to do for you. You know, that's such a, a clear uh, biblical principle. Uh, you know, when you think about, you know, God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, um, it's, it's an amazing book. And it's so powerful to us uh, because it's... Um, it's full of truth and teaching and examples and promises and truth about uh, God and our relationship with him and how to get to him and how to walk with him. The Bible is not just full of information and stories that we just kind of learn together. The Bible is designed to be written that what the Bible is teaching that happened in the lives of people in these different stories, God wants you to apply it to you. And apply that personally uh, to us. It's such a powerful uh, truth about Scripture. It's not just, uh, you know, we don't just read the Bible and then just say, okay, Lord, we read a Scripture and then we kind of just go on our way and hope that the Bible, the Bible has power in our life. No, we apply it uh, to our situation. We take the principles that we learn there and apply them to us so that um, we recognize that throughout God's Word, whether you're talking about the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, about Jesus or the epistles and uh, all throughout the Bible, God is depicted as a God who wants to have relationship with his people. God wants to have relationship. He is the one pursuing that relationship. It's kind of like a young man that is desperately in love with the girl of his dreams. And that young man will do anything to try to spend time with that one that he loves, right? We get that. Well, that's the picture of God pursuing us. God pursuing us, hoping that he can have relationship and to spend time with uh, his people, uh, to spend time with it. Jesus displays that throughout the gospel that we've been looking at because he wants a close relationship with people and that relationship happens when we believe in Christ, when we love Christ as our Savior and Lord. So personal encounter uh, is a priority for Jesus and for us. And so John highlights that throughout Christ's life, particularly as we have seen this uh, world-changing crucifixion. Uh, we had cross day two weeks ago, and then we saw resurrection day last Sunday and saw these incredible moments. And now that everything has changed and Jesus comes to his disciples and he has so much to offer them. So why would I, why would I say all that? I say all that to say that um, I was thinking kind of have this thought about scripture and what God is up to when he's talking about different things in scripture. So I have this um, enthusiasm about uh, the whole story of the crucifixion and how all that comes up and God is leading up to that moment through the gospel of John. And then we get to the resurrection and we have this incredible resurrection and he's risen, he's alive and we celebrate that together. And you would think that right there, at the end, it would just say the end. I mean, what could be better than that? Uh, that? 
And so then I think, okay, what would God be up to next? Like, what's next? Crucifixion, resurrection. Uh, what would be such a priority that God would say, this is the next thing that he wants to say to us? And I get real excited about stuff like that because I see that he's not only describing these world-changing moments, but he comes to a very personal moment with his disciples and with us. And it's John 20, verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, it's meaning the resurrection night, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone of their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. God bless his word to us today. You see right at the end that he gives us the intent of the gospel of John that you may believe and that you may have life uh, in his name. Uh, that's his encouragement to us. That's, that's what's happening in these scriptures is he's encouraging you, challenging you uh, and me to think about uh, our belief in him. So what I want to do is kind of just walk really briefly through this section and talk a little bit about uh, what is happening here. I want you to think about how what God offers to these disciples, because we already kind of agreed, right, that what he is saying to his disciples, what he is offering to them, he is offering to us. He's resurrected, and he wants to have a personal relationship with these disciples. You know, you can almost feel his excitement showing up, can't you? Peace be with you, he says. It's not just a greeting. He is offering them something. And so here's, here's what we're going to look at. Number, number one, what 
the risen Savior offers to his disciples and us. Number one, the risen Savior shows up. He shows up two different times. It tells us there that the risen Savior showed up kind of suddenly in the mix. And we realize that he has a body that allows him to walk through walls. He didn't knock on the door. Nobody had to go let him in. It just says there he was uh, in the midst of them. Aren't you glad that when you're confused and uncertain and you don't know what's going on in your life and you have questions, Jesus always shows up. He shows up. He's present with us. These disciples are nervous about what is taking place. The scripture says they were concerned about the Jewish leaders. They had just seen Jesus crucified and resurrected. They don't really fully understand what all is going on, and they wonder if they're next. And so they're locked away uh, in the upper room there, waiting, uh, wondering what is going to be next. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up in the midst of their situation. I'm pretty sure they weren't expecting that. Uh, not sure what they were expecting, but I know how it feels, don't you? To be in a situation where you're driving along and you wonder, what am I going to do about this circumstance? Or you're in your house or you're walking through your life or maybe you're laying in bed at night and you feel that overwhelming, like, I don't know what to do about this situation. I need God's wisdom. Jesus shows up every time in the midst of our circumstances. I don't know where you are today. But Jesus is here. He comes and he meets us right where we are in the midst of our need. I love that, that he shows up. He takes the initiative. He shows up in these moments when we need him. He is not a God that is hiding from us, just waiting for us to somehow find him and to, to, to uh, somehow work it out where we convince him to come. And No, he says, believe in me, trust in me. God wants to have a relationship with us. He shows up in the midst of our life. Praise God. The risen Savior not only shows up, but the risen Savior offers to us great peace. Three different times, verse 19, verse 20, verse 26, three different times he says, peace be with you. Now, peace be with you might be a, a Jewish greeting, but that's not, that's not what he meant here. He repeats it over and over again because he's offering these confused disciples uncertain about what is taking place. He is offering them in the midst of their fear he says, peace, peace I give to you. Jesus comes and he offers us his peace uh, right in the midst of their situation. He is encouraging them. He's helping them. He's bringing them together. You know, Jesus comes to us and offers us peace. Are you glad when you get in the middle of some kind of physical problem, some kind of financial trouble, some kind of situation with your family, something going on in your life, that Jesus comes and he offers you his peace? You know, I noticed that it's really difficult to get it all worked out, to hear from God, to hear the wisdom of God if I'm just a mess and I can't have, I'm not at any peace. But when I trust him and I know his peace is with us, then you can, you can see him. They, they began to rejoice. Why? The peace came because of the presence of God that was with them in their midst. Daily presence is God's key, the secret to him offering us the peace that we need. When Jesus shows up, one of the things he brings to you is, uh, I'm going to be with you, I'm present with you, and I offer you peace. He not only offered them peace, number three, the risen Savior offered great proof. Great proof. Uh, he says, 
when he had said that, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his feet, his side, uh, and they rejoiced with him. Um, you know, our resurrection bodies, I assume, will, will be perfect. But Jesus still had those scars. Um, you know, from what I can tell of Scripture, I think when we get to heaven, one day we're going to see those as well. But we don't see them now. We don't get to see Christ now. But we get to be those people that believe without seeing. They, they had an advantage. They could see those uh, scars on his hands and feet and side. But Jesus says, you will be blessed that even though you haven't seen them, that you believe in him. He offers us uh, proof. You know, proof is not just touching his hands, seeing those wounds, but the proof of, that God r reminds us of his work and his presence with us. You know, he's, he's always reminding me of proof, proof like, um, you know, whatever you're dealing with today, you know, it's easy to get in a situation where you forget how he's been with you the last 47 times. Uh, you remember all those last few times when you were desperate? You know, you kind of forgot about that. He met the need. He worked in that situation. He gave you wisdom. He solved that circumstance. But here you are again. Oh my, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this situation? What, what am I going to do here? Well, he's, the proof is there. The proof is present that God has been, if you walk with God very long, <clears throat> you know, you got to be a person of gratitude, right? Gratitude because God has been with us over and over again. He doesn't say, look at the hands, look at my hands and feet. He says, look at a month ago. You remember that? How about, how about six months ago? You remember that situation when you were all tore up about? Remember how I worked through that? Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? He says, take a look at those. Put your hands and your fingers right there and remember how I met your need over and over and over again. He's reminding us. He's giving us great uh, proof. You know, he doesn't just uh, leave you there to struggle on your own. He reminds us. So the risen Savior shows up, gives them peace, shows them proof. A risen Savior, number four, offers them great purpose. These guys are wondering uh, what their life is going to be like. Is, is their life going to be taken? Are they going to end up just like uh, Jesus as far as being crucified? But Jesus comes along and says, no, I got something. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm going to work in you. I'm going to minister uh, through you. Do you know that that is one of our callings uh, as a church, as believers, is to be a witness in the world that Christ is alive, that Christ is at work, and that he's working uh, through us. You know, I haven't noticed Jesus coming down preaching any revivals. Uh, like in person, you know, he's not, he's not on the, the news channels. Uh, you know, he, he, he's depending on you, right? He's depending on us to be his voice. And as I was sent, now I'm sending you, I'm sending you into that. So I don't know what you think your purpose is, uh, for being on this earth. Um, maybe you think it's some work that you're doing or some things that you're accomplishing or things that you're accumulating in your life, accomplishments. You know, I, you know people get all worked up about all kind of different things. One of the purposes that you have is to be a believer that witnesses to that in the world around us. As God has sent me, Jesus says, so I am sending you. So he gives us a great purpose. Uh, purpose and the risen Savior, number five, offers us great power. Offers us great power. 
Such an incredible scene. Again, it's the first, first thing that happens after Jesus is resurrected. He's with these disciples, and the scripture says he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I could come down and breathe on you, but that might be really personal, you know. You, uh, you might not like that very much. But isn't that so personal that he was there? And you, you can imagine him, you know, this same one that washed their feet. Now he's going by and he's breathing on them as an expression of the Holy Spirit coming to them. I tell you, this is such a personal scene. I mean, Jesus is walking up and having this interaction with them. He's not just speaking to the church as a whole. He's not just speaking to a big group. He's coming and personally having this encounter and says, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. That, that's what's going to, to be your strength. It's going to be your help. Uh, he's encouraging them. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So it's not my will. It's not my effort. It's not my strength. It's not my smarts. It's not my accomplishment that gives me the power to be the person that God called me to be. It's the Holy Spirit that is living in me. The Holy Spirit that is living in you. Do you believe that? That's his encouragement. He shows up and he offers peace and he offers them proof and he offers them uh, the uh, purpose and then he breathes on them and offers them uh, power to be able to follow and to, to serve him. So he has this personal moment with those disciples. Then it skips and says eight days later. Eight days later and now we get this personal encounter with with thomas thomas uh what an what an interesting guy um you know what what was um what's thomas's nickname doubting thomas okay that's what you said i didn't say that because that's not in the bible uh it would be helpful if we just forgot everything we knew about thomas everything we thought we knew about thomas because really just about everything you know about Thomas or think you know is exactly opposite, actually, in the Bible. I'll show you some things. First of all, Thomas in the, is in this Gospel of John. Uh, we see this scene here, but he is never described as the doubter. As a matter of fact, I read it for you. It said Thomas had a nickname, and his nickname was the twin. That was his nickname. Um, most of us have forgotten that. And uh, Jesus is talking, having this moment with, with Thomas. Remember, uh, one time earlier, we see Thomas in um, chapter 11, and he, Jesus is saying, it's time to go to Jerusalem. And remember, I told you when we got to chapter 12, there's like a turning point as Jesus is headed into that last week of, of his life. So right there as we make that turn uh, in John 11, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be headed to Jerusalem. And Thomas says, okay, guys, let's go. We know I, they're trying to kill him. And let's just go that we may die with him. You know, so he's not a doubter. Thomas is like more a realist. Uh, that's what it is. He just sees the situation and he's talking about it. Thomas is not really a doubter because he's, he's encouraging them to see it as it really was. And, and did you notice that what Thomas asked for in this moment in John was exactly what the disciples had gotten earlier. Uh, when Jesus appeared to the other disciples, he showed them his hands and his side, and then they say they have seen the Lord. And now they're saying, 
Thomas, we saw the Lord, and they're having this moment where really Thomas is no worse off than those disciples. We kind of make Thomas like an inferior disciple. You know what he wanted? He just wanted the same thing that those guys had had. Um, you know, sometimes we act like that, is, that we don't want to talk about our doubts. We don't want to talk about our struggles, that if we, we should have that if we have more faith, then we don't have any, any questions. Actually, maybe the person that's asking questions might have more faith than somebody that's just pretending that they don't have any doubts. Do you have doubts? Are they, you know, we don't, we don't like to talk about that in church very much. You know, we just kind of put on our, we put on our clothes and we come walking in and like everything's great and everything's fine. It's not true. It's not true. Right? Oh, you're going to let me do it. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Um, yeah, the pastor has doubts sometimes. You know, not that I doubt God, but I sure get wrapped up in circumstances that, that make me wonder about things that I have to really talk to him about. Like I, I talk to him a lot about my health. It's, it's a big deal. You know, I got I to gotta keep working on it. You know, I'm I try to, you try to be disciplined and try to do all the things you can, and then you fall off the wagon, you know, as they say, I guess, you know, just like, I got to get myself back, and, and I have to talk to him about all that stuff, and how much, you know, it's, it's not that I'm doubting him, but I have this, this doubt, and these questions, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, I pray a lot about, like, uh, I don't know, I pray for this church a lot, and it's a, it's a big deal. You know, people call somebody this morning and said, hey, boss. And I said, listen, don't, I, I'm not the boss, man. Uh, I, got, I got to depend on him to do, you know. But this is, a, this is a, you know, you think about the finances that it teaches this place and all the people that work here and all the responsibilities and the things that we made commitments to do and to be. Man, some of that stuff keeps you up at night sometimes. And he has to say, get with it, son. You know, you're not having to do this in your own strength. You know, are we, are we the same? Don't you do that sometimes? You get yourself all worked up about circumstances there, and you believe, it's not that you're not saved or you're not going to heaven or you, you, know, you love Jesus just like you did before, but you have these struggles that go on there. We all have, but that is, I would say, this story is in the Bible so that you know that that's okay. That it's okay to let God help you work. As a matter of fact, I think your faith is stronger working through those things than they are just acting like I don't have any struggles. Come on. So that's what's happening with this story. He's applying it uh, to us. And so he's talking to, uh, to Thomas and he's definitely not saying to him or any other disciples, he's not putting them down. He's not uh, discouraging them. He's not rebuking them in some way. You know, I think Thomas wanted to believe. Thomas wanted to believe there. He's just trying to work himself through that. And Jesus has such compassion and patience uh, with him. And Thomas has an, an opportunity for Jesus to give him some guidance. So he has this moment with him, and Jesus begins to direct or redirect his will, his will. Now, I say that because, you know, the, the faith is an expression of our will. Um, so in those moments when I'm struggling or doubting, then I have a choice about what I'm going to believe about this situation. How am I going to believe? What am I? Uh, faith is a matter of 
uh, will. Thomas came in and he said, two things are here. One thing he says and one thing Jesus says. Thomas says, I will not believe. I will not believe it. Uh, actually, in the original, it's like a double negative there. It's basically like him saying, I absolutely will not believe. I'm not going to believe it. Uh, so, you know, that is a, that's an expression of will. Have, have you done that? Where you get all worked up about something and you're just, and just, no matter what your head tells you, and even no matter what your heart tells you, you just decided, and I don't care what anybody else says, I'm not doing it. I do it all the time, she said. <laughs> yeah, we're like that, right? It's an expression of our will. And the Spirit of God in us has to, has to come along. Do you notice what he says to Thomas? He says, stop doubting and believe. Originally, the, the, uh, new, the new Living Translation I read says, stop being faithless and, be, and begin to believe. So he's, yeah, ouch. Uh, so he, he's speaking to us. He's talking to me and he's saying, um, do you remember all the times that I've been with you? You remember all the proof of how I've been with you over and over and over again? Are you going to let yourself just be overwhelmed by these doubts? Or are you going to believe in me? Are you going to put your trust in me? You know, he, he's going to take care of me physically. He's going to take care of us financially. He's going to take care of us in whatever need you're dealing with. He wants you to believe and to trust in him. You know, whatever you're dealing with today, whatever it might be, he is putting you in those situations so that you will learn to take your faith to a whole nother level as you trust in him. It is totally fine to tell him, man, I'm struggling with this. But, you know, he, he's not going to just pat you on the head and say, oh, everything's going to be. No, he's going to say, come on, let's figure this out. Let's not live in doubt. Don't doubt your doubts. I mean, doubt your doubts, but believe your beliefs. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. That's his, his response to us is don't be faithless, but be filled with uh, faith and trust in him. So Thomas comes to this moment, and he makes this incredible proclamation this incredible confession. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Would you say that as a confession? Thomas says it, you say it, ready? My Lord and my God. What, what a statement. It's probably one of the, one of the strongest confessions uh, in the scripture, certainly in the gospels. Notice the word my. The my is a personal word. It's a word that emphasizes faith is not somebody else's. He's not believing because of Peter. He's not believing because of some other disciple. He's not believing because of the church or his grandmother. He's believing because he, my Lord, he says, personally for me, Lord is a word that describes someone that's in charge, the manager, the one that oversees. He's not just teacher. He's not just savior. He is the Lord of my life. He is guiding everything there. That's his confession. My Lord and, it's a simple little word and that says there's more. You know, you can't describe Jesus in just one word. He is so many different things to us. Uh, and all that, all that Thomas can think of to say is my Lord and my, again, very personal. He's saying, this is powerful. This is my confession. We say it together. We proclaim it. No one else there can trust like Jesus, my Lord and my God, my God. Such a powerful word. 
He got it. He saw it. He saw who Jesus was, my Lord and my God, my God, the personal guide in my life, the Lord of my life, uh, powerful, personal, uh, reflecting Jesus' presence in his life. You know, if you have, if you have doubts, if you're a believer and you've got some doubts about God's direction in your life, God's ability to supply your need, if you have some doubts, don't, don't hide them. Reach out to him the way Thomas did. Tell God just like Thomas did. And then when you start to have a personal moment with God, allow him to come and overwhelm those doubts and give you the opportunity to put your trust in him. That's what happened right after the resurrection. Loving, intimate, personal relationship with Christ. Is that what you have? Is that what you long for? This relationship with Christ, with this amazing risen Savior, overwhelming. And that's his desire for us. This morning, we're going to reflect on that together. I'd like you to think about, what, what is it that this risen Savior is saying to me today? What is he talking to you about? What are you having doubts about? That you need him to help you to come to a place of no longer doubting, but full of belief in him. Trusting him, knowing him, having this intimate relationship with him, reflecting on your personal encounter with the risen Savior. What is he saying to you? And what are you going to do about that? The way that we're going to reflect together is Callie's coming, she's going to sing, and uh, we're going to take communion together. Uh, we have some, um, some veterans uh, the majority of those that have been serving today in the first service and now uh, are uh, veterans. And so we uh, have the opportunity to kind of recognize them and celebrate them uh, serving communion with us today. So uh, if they would come and uh, we'll get ready uh, to serve this communion together.
believe this morning that he is the risen Savior, that he is our rock. He is the chief cornerstone. He is peace. He is love. He's mercy. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Do you believe? Because death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. Because you Oh, no. 
Blessed are you who have not seen him and yet believed. Blessing that comes to us as we believe and we have life in his name. Today, we have a piece of bread. This bread is a reminder of those scarred hands, nail-pierced hands, wounded side that says, I gave myself for you. I show up for you. We eat this bread in remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Let's eat together. The blood reminds us of the life of Jesus. He promises that as you believe in him, you believe in his name, that's life. That's going to give you life. Life is in the blood, his blood that was sacrificed for us. He says, drink this juice in remembrance of the blood that was shed on your behalf and drink it with great thankfulness. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for caring about these disciples and showing up that very first night, meeting their needs, helping them with their doubts. We pray for us today that you would help us to be obedient to you and that you would help us to believe. You would help our faith to grow as we work through our doubts, our struggles, our questions, as you help us with those things and you help us to not put our faith in our doubts, but put our faith in what we believe, in who you are. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen.